And I'm going to ask you to join me, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16 this morning. The words uh, will be on the screen, but if you have a copy of God's Word with you, it's always helpful to have a hard copy I have found uh, in front of me. If you do not have a Bible to call your own, if you do not have a copy of the Bible to call your own, we have some for you, and I would love to give you one for free, no strings attached. Please come up to me at the end of the service. I would love to hand you uh, one of those, Uh, so please take me up on that. Today we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read this passage completely all the way through, and then we'll pray. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart, or we give, wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed, or said, or proclaimed, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, the foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we have to pray right now because of what this very passage says. This very passage teaches that without your help, we will not understand the things of God. Without your enabling, without you opening the eyes of our hearts, without you first implanting your spirit inside of us, we will not even see the gospel as good and as worthy. Much less... All of the other things that you have to teach us about life, about how we should live it, about who we are and what our problem is and who you are and how you have come to fix it. 
God, I pray that today I would not attempt to clean your word up. I pray that I would simply attempt to turn your word loose. I pray, God, that when I have to say easy things to hear, that we would not overlook them because they seem familiar to us. I pray, Lord, that when I have to say difficult things today, that I would not come across or that I would not have in my heart any kind of harsh feelings, but that I would faithfully stand here and say what your word says. God, I pray that as we look to your Bible here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that it would do its work in us. We beg of you because we are needy people. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, when I was in the third grade, I had a teacher who made us read C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You're probably familiar with it. It's a book that can be read by a third grader. It's a book that can be read by a 93-year-old, and much can be gleaned from it. But the children who are the main characters in that book, they stumble into another world when they are hiding in a wardrobe and they don't expect to find this whole other realm on the other side of this wardrobe, like this big closet thing. And uh, they have kind of a problem at the end of the book. They begin to worry. They begin to worry if all of the things that they saw in Narnia, that other world, you know, that Narnia had a problem, it was in a perpetual non-stop winter that was uh, put in place by this white witch, but Narnia also had a solution. Aslan, this, this Christ figure who comes in and by his own sacrifice, by sacrificing himself, fixes the problem that the world of Narnia was living in, this perpetual winter. And he ushers in the spring where everything begins to blossom and it's beautiful. And the kids who are the main characters in this story begin to fear that nobody is going to believe them. Nobody's going to believe this secret and hidden world that they have just experienced. Today, in 1 Corinthians... The Bible speaks about the good news of Jesus in a way that, frankly, folks, we may not be used to talking about. The Bible calls the gospel a kind of secret and hidden wisdom. We see that some people have come to love and embrace this secret and hidden wisdom. But others seem to be totally shut off to it, unaware of it, or even repulsed by it. What the Bible calls this secret and hidden wisdom, the gospel, we learn here this truth that Paul has been trying to, the Bible, God through Paul in the Bible, has been trying to convince us of for at least two sermons before this one. And that is this truth. For anybody... 
to see the gospel as good and beautiful. For any of us to see the gospel as worth leaving our sin, our sin that we love, and all of our idols, for anybody to see the gospel as worthy enough to leave that stuff behind, God has to do a work in our hearts for us to even want the gospel. That's how lost we are. Verses 6 through 9, we see our first point. The hidden things of God. Review with me these four verses. Verses 6 through 9. The Bible says this. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. In other words, God is is not accidentally stumbling through this plan of salvation. He has actually decreed long ago, he says, even before the ages, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have been, that they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love Him. What are we to make of this? I mean, folks, this is unusual language to our ears. The Bible here is speaking of the gospel as being this kind of secret, hidden wisdom. And after all, didn't we just get done talking about last week how the gospel is a simple message? And we should just trust it to do its work when we, when we share it. Well, that's not at all at odds with what we see here today. What the scriptures are showing us here today is that the gospel is a simple message. But that simple message will not hit home unless God has done a work of cultivating the soil and of opening blind eyes. This is clear from the Gospels. Everybody saw the same Jesus. I mean, friends, we would like to think that if we had lived in New Testament time, in Bible time, in those three years that Jesus was walking around on the earth, we would like to think that we would not be like all those people, the majority of people who looked at Jesus askance with raised eyebrows and said, I don't know what this guy's talking about. We would be like Nicodemus, who was like, what do you mean, Jesus, I need to be born again? How does a person go back into their mother's womb and be born again? We would like to think that we would be those 12 who are willing to follow him come what may. We would like to think that we were the ones who would not leave him when things get tough. It's clear in the gospel that even though everyone sees the same Jesus, not everybody sees Jesus. Although everyone heard the same sermons, not everyone had ears to hear Not everyone was willing to leave their fishing nets and follow him. In fact, as this text says, had they understood the message that Jesus was preaching and showing them through his life lived before him, they certainly would not have crucified him. 
The New Testament actually uses this term mystery pretty frequently. We see that show up in the Bible. In Mark 4, Jesus spoke of the mystery of the kingdom of God. He called it a mystery. Paul said in Colossians that he ministered and wrote so that others could have, quote, an assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. So there's this sense that this mystery is a bit like Narnia. Some have seen it and experienced it and others have just been told about it. And they may can even, they may can even rehearse the facts of this mystery. But they haven't experienced it. They remain skeptical. You mean it's not just a fairy tale. There's actually a world on the other side of that wardrobe. This isn't just something that you guys made up out of boredom. You're saying that there's a problem and there's a savior and that there's a solution. Friends, this honestly should increase our worship. When we view the gospel as not just a set of facts that we can agree to in our heads, but that it is a mystery that God must open our hearts to receive. This increases our worship because we see that if we have come to believe the gospel, it is evidence that God has done a work. The only reason that any of you The only reason that I should want to lay down my idols and the temptations and the things that seem to satisfy but the Bible says lead toward hell, the only reason that any of us should should be able to, to want to do that and to lay hold of Jesus is if God has done a work. And that should cause us to worship. should cause us to worship because God, you did in me what I could not do myself. There's a second thing that we learn here from these first four verses, verses 6 through 9. The second thing we learn is that even for those who have seen and embraced the gospel, it's possible to live as if it is not true. Even for us who have seen and embraced the gospel, it's possible to live as if it's not true. Notice what he says here, the very beginning of verse 6. He says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. What the commentators who understand the the Greek language very deeply, what they say is that this word for mature is, is like an antonym. It's the opposite of the word infants. What what Paul is saying here is that there is a sense in which only among the mature, only among those who have walked down the road with Jesus long enough can understand the fullness of everything that is here. I mean, you've had this experience, I would venture to say, 
that even though you may have come to know Jesus when you were 9 or 16 or 25, you now understand more about this gospel that saved you than you did when it saved you, right? That's been my experience. I was just telling Whitney the other day, I was like, to my shame, I was in seminary before I was realizing some things that I feel like I should have been taught a long time ago. He says, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. And friends, I'm going to try to apply this in a way that I hope will be helpful. I'm going to do that by asking a question. Is your faith in Jesus and is your understanding of the gospel strong enough and mature enough and robust enough to meet the challenge that is coming for you? All of us are either in the middle of a storm or heading toward a storm. Everybody here. I was talking to a biblical counselor one time who's actually got a very burgeoning ministry. He doesn't even counsel anymore. He just goes around and speaks. But he, there in Greenville, South Carolina, he told me one time something that I've never lost sight of. He said, you know, Greg, one of the hardest things to do in counseling... He said, for most Christians who go to church, he said, when they come to me with a problem, I have to spend the first two or three sessions just getting their understanding of the gospel and of what the Bible teaches to such a level that they can then accept what I need to tell them about how to solve their problem. He said, most believers have never read the Bible all the way through much less have walked with Jesus down the road far enough to even understand what I need to tell them so that they can get out of the fix that they're in. He says, I have to do so much work before I even begin to counsel. And Paul here says, yet among the mature, we impart wisdom. It's almost like we don't have a big enough tank to receive sometimes what we need to in order to be able to go to the next step. I mean, think about when you're trying to resolve a conflict. What I have found in my short life is that so many believers who have been in church for decades and decades know so little about what the Bible says about confession of sin, about real repentance. And about genuine forgiveness. That it's, it's almost impossible to even resolve conflicts because we don't even start at the same place. We don't even know what the Bible says. When sitting down with someone who, is, who believes that they are a Christian and they are walking in continual, public, unrepentant sin, and you sit down and have a conversation, you know, would you please follow Jesus? Because here's what the Bible says like about, about repentance, that the nature of true faith is a faith that desires to turn away from sin. And so if you don't desire to turn away from sin, that's evidence that you're not a Christian. I know that you filled out the card. I know that you made... Uh, a decision. I know that you went through the water, but the Bible says that the evidence of genuine faith is transformation of life. I'm concerned about you. Would you please follow Jesus? 
There are so many Christians who know so little about Jesus that when they hear that, they think that you are harming them instead of helping them. In the same way, when crisis strikes, I mean, friends, in the hospital room is a very difficult place to try to build someone's theology to help them understand what's coming for them. It's too late by that point. Because people have not cultivated a deep understanding of Jesus that it's it's almost impossible to sit down and minister with someone in the midst of crisis because they, they don't know the Scriptures well enough to receive the encouragements that they need to hear in that moment of crisis. And Paul says, among the mature, we impart wisdom. Paul is saying, listen to what he says in chapter 3. If you've got your Bible open, this is not on the screen. But the very first verse of chapter 3 says this. But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. I don't want to take too much away from the sermon for next week, right? Because I mean, this is exciting stuff. This is good, hard, but helpful stuff from the Bible. What Paul is saying here, he's, he's like, I wasn't even able to speak to you like a spiritual adult. You weren't even ready. Like, you had a, an adult problem, and I had to come to you with vacation Bible school language. He said, I wasn't even able to fully talk to you like you needed to be, to be talked to. Yes, you have all the outward appearance of being an adult. You have a mortgage and, and, and you have toddlers running around and, and you have you know, the car and the career. But you were babies spiritually. He's like, I wasn't even able to talk to you to help you get out of your fix. Church. The message of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is this. Grow up in Christ so that you can have more of Him. And so that you can be ready for the storm that is coming. So that you can be ready to receive what God has for you next. I mean, could it be that God has has an 18-wheeler Trailer load full of stuff for you and you're coming in a 5 by 7 trailer to pick it up. Would you, would you follow Him and pursue Him because He has more for you? Secondly, the Bible goes on and talks about the Holy Spirit who I have affectionately referred to as not your crazy uncle. Everybody has interesting view on the, on the Holy Spirit. You know, there's some people who... Uh, you know, just don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. He's kind of the crazy uncle that you know shows up at Thanksgiving, but we try to put him over there on that table so that maybe we won't have to be exposed to his weirdness. Or, uh, or maybe other folks are so enamored with the Holy Spirit that God is always telling me something new all the time, even though the, the Bible says that you know God has spoken past perfect tense. The Holy Spirit is telling me all kinds of new stuff all the time. The Bible says that the role of the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, is to remind us of what is true of God, what has been revealed in the Scriptures. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and here He does that. He does that in verses 10 through 13. The Bible says this, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. You see, are you picking up what he's laying down here? He's saying that if you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you cannot understand what God is saying. Like you cannot pick up that frequency. It's like... You know, Whitney and I, for the three years, three plus years that we've lived here, we have had a landline phone number. But we have never hooked it up to an actual receiver. Right? So all of my my family, the Quorum family, keeps this big, long spreadsheet of everybody with phone numbers and email addresses. And they update it twice a year. Get an email in June and December. Everybody in my family thinks we have a landline phone number, and I hope nobody has tried to call it because it ring, it doesn't ring. It doesn't. Nobody will pick up on the other end. In the same way, if you do not have the Holy Spirit in you, if you do not have that receiver hooked up, you will not be able to understand the depths of what has been revealed in the Bible. It says, Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things of God. The Bible, again, is teaching us this. That it is impossible to know God without God taking up residence in our heart. It's impossible to know more about Him, to grow in our knowledge of Him. We are so blinded and broken that unless God takes up residence in us, we won't even understand what the Bible says and how we can be reconciled to Him. This is what the Bible means when it says in verses 10 and 11, it is impossible to understand God without the Spirit of God in us. I'll give you an illustration. In World War II, the Marines selected 29 members of the Navajo Nation to be these code talkers. See, the Navajo language had never been reduced to letters. It had never been written. It was only spoken. And as a result, you couldn't break a code because there was no code to break. There were no little letters. Dee, 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 dee. You know, there's none of that. You couldn't have like a, a crypto that would, that would you know, figure out what the code is and break it. There were only 29 of these guys. But the problem is, not the problem, but the, the good thing, the problem and the good thing is that you had to have one of these Navajo code talkers on each side of the line. See, it used to, when you had to send a coded message in the Pacific Theater to win the war, it would take 30 minutes to decode three lines of text. I mean, imagine you're on the battlefield, and, and somebody, one of the generals, is, is trying to send an order about what to do up on the front lines. And he would send that order, and it would go through the channels... And then somebody up there would have to break the code, and it would take 30 minutes just to decode three lines of text. But the Navajo code talkers could translate that same three lines in 20 seconds. I mean, you can imagine what kind of edge this would give you on the battlefield. Just like you had to have a Navajo code talker on each end... We have to be indwelt by the Spirit of God to understand the deep things of God. We have to know Him. We have to cultivate a relationship with Him. In a similar way, I have a cousin. His name is Scott, and he has a Ph.D. in math. And he works for the Department of Defense in this really cool job that he can't fully explain to us, right? I mean, his grandmother had to do an interview 
with the Department of Defense to make sure this guy was clean. Like his grandmother who lives on a farm and teaches piano and like she had to, you know, so tell me, how long have you had that car outside? Like all these crazy questions, you know. Anyway, my cousin Scott, who, who uh, works for the government, I remember when he graduated with his Ph.D., his wife put on this really neat thing. We had a party uh, at a restaurant in Asheville, North Carolina. And in the basement of, of that restaurant, uh, she had these pictures set up and his, his dissertation was on display there in that classic black hardback you know, with the archival paper that doesn't fade and, and the gold lettering on the spine and all that stuff. And I remember thinking, okay, well, they got this thing on display. i got to open it up and see what's inside of it. Yeah. And so I went to the first page after the introduction, and it said this. Because everyone agrees that... And then five pages of formulas. Five pages later, it says, then clearly X is 429. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, now, there are people that can understand what that all is saying. But I'm not one of them, right? I'm not one of them. There is a set of people, though, who have the capacity to receive that kind of message. In the same way, friends, those of us who have the Holy Spirit can understand the things of God. We have to have a relationship with Him. We have to be cultivating our knowledge of Him through reading the Bible. Well, Pastor Greg, what's the first step? first step I would say to you is read the New Testament all the way through. Just read the New Testament. And then when you get done, when you get to Revelation, the end of Revelation, start over and read it again. Cultivate a deep relationship with God so that we can have, number three, the mind of Christ. Verses 14 through 16 say this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly. They are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. This chapter closes on a kind of a sobering truth. The natural person, the person who has not been regenerated by God, the person who has who has not had their spiritual eyes opened by him, they do not accept the things of the spirit of God. This is difficult to be sure, but this helps us make a ton of sense of our gospel conversations. <coughs> How I can go into a park in Greer, South Carolina, the buckle on the Bible Belt, the upstate of South Carolina, and I can share the gospel with ten people, and eight of them don't want to have anything to do with it. One of them already believes it, and one of them is like, I want to, I want to hear more. What would cause the, that diversity of responses. Think about Nicodemus. The beginning of John's gospel, he comes to Jesus at night, which is a symbol of the darkness that he's living in, right? John is all about this darkness and light. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. 
And he wants to ask questions. What do you mean, Jesus, when you say you must be born again? And Nicodemus is not jiving with what Jesus is laying down. He doesn't understand it. He's thinking in a natural state, whereas Jesus is talking in a spiritual state. But then later, in John chapter 7, Nicodemus comes back. Jesus is out preaching in town, and people are kind of sneering at Jesus. And Nicodemus says what? Nicodemus says, hey guys, let's give this guy a hearing. It's kind of interesting, the things that he said. Something's going on in Nicodemus' heart. And then by the end of John's Gospel, where do we find Nicodemus? He's going with Joseph of Arimathea to take down the body of Jesus off of the cross and to anoint it with expensive spices. God's doing a work in Nicodemus. How do we know who God's doing a work in? We don't. We just share the gospel with everybody and let this message do its work. Unleash this message of the gospel because it has power. This is why we pray. This is why we plead with God. Lord, would you, would you give them eyes to see? I'm about to have a gospel conversation. Would you help them to understand the things that the Bible is saying so that they can see it as good and sweet. Not simply that they would agree with the facts of the gospel, which anybody who is mentally competent can do, but that they would see it as beautiful and want to leave their idols and want to leave their sin and want to follow Jesus and make sacrifices for Him come what may. That's why we pray. That's why we pray for these things. Because we know that the only way anybody gets saved is if God does a work. Could it be? For you, believer, that you have recognized today that you desperately need the mind of Christ. You desperately need to cultivate a relationship with God through the Bible so that you can understand what He wants you to know for this next season in life. So that you can be prepared for the trial that is coming God is beckoning you today to pursue Him. He will be found when He is sought. He longs to make you more like His Son, Jesus. And if you feel like you're, you're backing your truck up to the, to the dock and you've got a truckload full of stuff that you're trying to fit on a 5x7 trailer, it's not too late to begin to walk with Jesus and to ask Him to take you deeper. That's a prayer that He delights to answer. He will affirm that desire that I believe He put in you in the first place. It's evidence that He's already doing a work in you. Philippians 1.6 Maybe you're in another category. And you realize that as you sit here today, you have never understood the gospel. You've never seen it as good. This mess, maybe you have heard the facts of the gospel that I'm, I'm a sinner. That sin separates me from God. Only perfect things get in, get in to be near Him. I'm not perfect, therefore I'm out. But God loved me so much that He sent His Son Jesus to be perfect for me. To do what I couldn't do, to live a perfect life, and then to die a death on the cross that I should have died. Jesus died on the cross to cancel my sins. And anyone who will place their faith in Him, whoever will call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. 
And maybe today this is the first day that that has seemed sweet to you. I think I can tell you on the authority of the Bible that if today that gospel seems sweet to you, it's because God has done a work in your heart. Would you respond to that today? I invite you to begin your life with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your word. It is clear, even when it is difficult. uh, Many times we find that the difficulties in the Bible are not difficult to understand. They're just difficult to accept. Difficult to follow. Difficult to put into practice or to work into our view that we are already comfortable with. God, I pray that today you would make us by inches and by degrees. Make us a church that has the mind of Christ. That knows you deeply. That is expanding our ability to receive from you what you have for us next. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone today who today has heard the gospel sung, has heard the gospel explained in brief by me, has heard the gospel talked about, and this seems attractive to them, I pray that today they would make their decision to follow you public, to leave behind their old life and to embrace Jesus and to be given new life. I pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Folks, just like every Sunday, we're going to have a time of response. If the Word of God has done something in your heart today that you need to respond to, there are some simple ways you can do that. You could come down front and just kneel and pray. If there's a person that you know in your life that desperately needs the gospel, would you come and plead with God to change their heart? Would you plead with God to open their eyes? If you have today, for the very first time, understood the gospel as beautiful and sweet and you want in on that, come and talk to me and I'll show you how to become a Christian. I'd love to have that conversation with you. But however the Lord is leading you, would you today respond?